Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. Uh, this Monday evening, I am most excited once again to talk about this towering figure of the 20th century. And yet, the great paradox, as we have been talking about paradoxes of late, a man you may have never heard of before. And that is why I am most excited. His name is Romano Gardini. Romano Ooh. Gardini. Yes. And and as you can hear, I have John here in the studio with me. John, great to have you with me another evening. Great to be here, Joe. So, John, as Benedict XVI prepared to step down from his pontificate, he offered the following words to those who feared his resignation marked a, a dangerous departure from tradition on both sides of the fence, John. I, I was hearing a lot of rumors of concern, huh? This is what he had to say. The church is not an institution devised and built at table, but a living reality. She lives along the course of time by transforming herself like any living being. Yet, yet, her nature remains the same at her heart is Christ. And why do I bring this up, John? Because those words were not his own, but those of his intellectual mentor, Romano Gardini. And, you know, much of Benedict's writing has been at least implicitly, we could say, a long meditation on one Romano Gardini. Um, in some cases, John, the connection has been more explicit than implicit. Certainly, his greatest work, as many would argue, Introduction to Christianity, is an echo of Gardini's The Essence of Christianity. Another one of his great works, my favorite work, The Spirit of the Liturgy, is in many ways an updating of Gardini's own work titled The Spirit of the Liturgy. And uh, oh, by the way, that work, The Spirit of the Liturgy, inspired a dialogue between Gardini and one Max Scheller. Why do I bring up Max Scheller? Well, <laughs> Max Scheller um, is one whom the young Voitia would write his dissertation on under whose advisement? But one Reginald Garrigou Lagrange, right? So there we have a direct connection from Gardini to uh, John Paul II. And what's more, as we have documented here on Seeds of Truth, Father Bogolio uh, considered writing his dissertation on Gardini himself. And of course, Father Bogolio is Pope Francis. Um, and what we've documented here is in many of his writings and in many of his public addresses, Pope Francis does not shy away from quoting Romano Gardini. So uh, who is this man, John, who has had such a profound influence on just not uh, recent popes, but as we will talk about Vatican II and again the 20th century? I first heard about Romano Gardini listening to Father Benedict Rochelle, mm. a priest whom I, the late Father Benedict yes, Rochelle, whom yes. I loved a lot. And I said, who? And I did a little exploration. This is several decades ago. And sure. I was quite impressed. Romano Gardini was born in 1885 and died in 1968. So he lived about 83 years. As with G.K. Chesterton, our writer from last week, he spanned the 19th and the 20th centuries. He was born in Verona. That's the city of Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Fair yes. Verona, where we lay our scene. But it didn't break from ancient grudge to new meet. And it was exactly the opposite. After he was when he was about a year old, his parents moved to Mainz, Germany, mm. 
and he was grew up German, and he combined Italy and Germany. That would be kind of the intuitive emotional aspect of where he was born and his last name, with kind of an analytical objective aspect, which you know we'll say comes from Germany. Yes. And so he, he combined the two of them very successfully. <clears throat> he was a good student, and uh, when he went to university, he began studying chemistry. And then he switched majors, as undergrads will do, to economics. And the dismal <laughs> science left him uh, a little distressed. He had a spiritual letdown, and he had some spiritual experiences which led him to study theology, and then he felt he had a calling to the priesthood and became ordained. If you're going to get a Ph.D. in the European countries, you need to get almost two dissertations. And he wrote both of them on St. Bonaventure's spirit of theology. Now, remember, the fad at the time was uh, Thomas Aquinas was in revival. Mm-hmm. But he kind of... Uh, Went away from Steered that a little away. bit and, and, yeah. and went to the Franciscan uh, orientation of theology. So he was not exactly a rebel, but he was certainly a thinker. And his first book, which came out in 1918 when he was 33 years old, was On the Spirit of the Liturgy. That wa- that has been a classic ever since. And one of uh, Benedict XVI's best books was On the Spirit of the Liturgy, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, he copied that exact same title as you previously mentioned. Mm-hmm. When he was going to Mass, he would notice that people at Mass were saying the rosary. Mm-hmm. Therefore, having the beads go through their fingers, nice, but that's not what mass is about. Mm-hmm. And he try, you know, we have to try to improve this situation. Mm-hmm. And when he was, uh, we'll just say, a Newman Center director at one of the universities, he turned the altar around so that it faced the students. The students were in a semicircle around the altar. And the purpose of this was not to foster uh, a sense of community, qua community. It was Christ is the center. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, yes, we are together, but it is a prayer together. But the focal point is Christ and our adoration of Christ. And, of course, and, John, if I may interject, this is pre-Vatican II, pre, right? Yeah, we're talking 1920s, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. And he went on with that. Now, he went on to write some other excellent books, which we'll get into later. But that was kind of his beginnings. Mm-hmm. He drew praise from across the spectrum from the beginning. Von Balthasar, mm. Karl Rahner, Karl Wojtyla. Joseph Ratchinger, I mean, so he is attracting devotees or uh, people who think he's quite an important uh, writer. He was influential with them all of their lives. Yeah, and others would include, and it's striking, John, Joseph Pieper, and a lot of our listeners may not know who that is. It's striking because he was a follower of Thomas Aquinas, and yet he found himself gravitating towards Romano Gardini, as well, of course, as the great Henri de Lubac, you know, Uh maybe after Gardini, the next most important 20th century theologian. So Romano Gardini, there is a reason why theologians today call him the father. Yeah. The father, John, of the 20th century as it relates to theology. So um, very important. One of his his books was uh, Letters from Lake Como. Okay, that's Mm. Italy. So here he's trying to bring Germany and Italy together. Uh, Interesting book. And then he came out with a book, I'm sure you want to talk about the Lord, I won't go into it, but that mm-hmm. attracted a lot of attention, in which he talked about various people such as Socrates, the conversion of Augustine, Dostoevsky, Dante, Montaigne, Pascal, and he kind of brought them together and related them to the 20th century, Yes. and uh, one of my favorite short story writers, Catholic short story writer Flannery O'Connor, yes. said this book is just out of sight, yeah. and uh, <laughs> that wasn't her exact quote, but it was... No, but that's the essence of what she was saying, because he took all of these great philosophers, all of these great theologians, and he poured them into a deeper understanding of what it means to, what's that great one word of the new evangelization? Encounter, encounter uh-huh. with one yes. another, and he did it within the light of divine revelation. 
This is why he's so great. This is why if Flannery O'Connor would say something like out of sight, and I know she didn't say those exact words, but this work was unprecedented. Her exact words were, there is nothing like it anywhere. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> there good. is nothing like it anywhere. And again, this is why he is uh, so relevant. John, I want to go back a little bit to the spirit of the liturgy. Um, his work, the spirit liturgy, um, for him, maybe his most important work, because it was there where he really... Um, enter deeper into his own journey of faith, and out from that journey of faith did he better understand the larger picture. There is an important quote, and oh, by the way, a quote that Benedict XVI kind of reinforces in his own spirit liturgy. Uh, He says this, the soul must learn to abandon, at least in prayer, the restlessness of purposeful activity. It must learn to waste time for the sake of God and to be prepared for the sacred game with saying and thoughts and gestures without always immediately asking why and wherefore. Wow. You know, something, it it is good. And I want to make a point here, John. Romano Gardini grew up in a home that, yeah, they went to Mass every Sunday, but it wasn't a home where the faith was being lived in any kind of vibrant way. Um, There was no catechesis going on, if you will, inside the home. And it left him unable to answer all of those pressing questions um, during the time. And so as he went on in his studies to uh, study, just not economics, but as you talked about theology and philosophy, he was constantly inquiring into the existence of God. And he realized that to come to know God, to come to understand God. It isn't solely through reason, but also faith and reason. He would never say experience and reason, lest he fall into that trap of the Enlightenment, right? Uh. But faith and reason. Yet faith does speak to this encounter, this very real encounter, right, which is an experience. And so as he went deeper into his faith, and deeper into the Mass, he was realizing that something extraordinary was going on during the Mass. You talked about people fingering the beads, and he would say, no, don't finger the beads. There are words being said up at the altar that we are called to enter into, and in the entering into, and how did he put it, John? In the restlessness of purposeful activity, it must learn to waste time for the sake of God and to be prepared for the sacred game with saying and thoughts and gestures. This is the actuoso participatio, the active participation of both mind and heart as man enters deeper into Mass. John, you, me, and everyone out there who goes to Mass every Sunday and God willing every day are called to actively participate, not by fingering rosary beads, but by listening to the words, entering into, as Benedict XVI would put it, the inner form of the Mass with all of its gestures and signs and have all of the beauty, the sacred beauty of the Mass, draw you in into this uh, much more profound um, experience of worship, one that is caught up in this great thing we call faith. This was so important to Romano Gardini. It was a game-changer. I try to get to daily Mass, as a lot of people do, and I'll tell you, my participation at Mass is about a C, maybe C+. It's something you really have to learn. Yeah, we've heard these words a lot, but what he has to say is profound. We have to waste time with God. That, That kind of puts it, really, you just have to be present as best you can to what is going on as profoundly as you can. Put it another way, to be a good Catholic, you need to have two things, catechesis and liturgy. 
Mm-hmm. Those two will make you, well, not going to make you a great Catholic, but those two are the beginning of becoming a good Catholic. Yeah. And liturgy is, remember, that's half your ball game. Yep. In so far as catechesis and liturgy are internalized. Yes. Yeah, that's Gardini. How might we draw this out, John, before we move on to some of his other pieces? You know, when I watch my kids play at the park, <laughs> they're not out there in their play looking at the slide, the steps, the climbing wall, right. and asking where it came from, how was it built. They're just playing, yeah. right? They're just playing. They're entering into why the park was built, right? Mm-hmm. So kids can enjoy themselves. What Gardini wants us to see, we are to do the same during the Mass. We are called to enter into the Mass. And he's not saying it's bad to inquire um, into the existence of God. No, he's not saying that. He's just simply saying we need to be caught up in the enraptured love of God. You can see why he is so popular. He had a wide view of both art, philosophy, and liturgy. Mm. And he brought all of that together in a very compelling way. And, uh, he, and he drew a lot of adherence from all sides of the aisle. Martin Buber had, a, I think, a radio show, and Guardini became a regular on that show. Yes. And they were best friends yeah. for, for their entire life, Jewish and Catholic. Yeah. He was able to, like with Italy and Germany, he was able to cross these seeming divides, but not saying yes to everything, but he had a definite point of view, but he he had an appreciation for beauty, which mm-hmm. crosses both Italy and Germany. Amen to that, John. You know, we have talked before um, in relationship to von Balthasar, one of, yeah. uh, one of Gardini's students, how in his own exploration of the great transcendentals, truth, beauty, and goodness— that in our evangelization, you actually lead with beauty, then comes truth and goodness, right? Where did von Balthasar get that? Again, Gardini. It was his affection for the arts. And so out from that, he had an affection for beauty. It's interesting. Romano Gardini, as you talk about crossing the line, if you will, was one of the first theologians to write about authors of literature, right? And what he would do is invoke their depth, invoke their beauty, essentially evangelize them, never sacrificing Catholic truth, but simply meeting them where they're at. We have talked in recent weeks, John, the importance of meeting our audience where they're at, so that as we walk through their door, when we leave, they might walk through our door, if you will. Um, And this was something that Romano Gardini was a forerunner in. He really pioneered the art of using art, if you will, yeah, to the, evangelize. The Catholic Church prior to World War II was an exciting place in the 20th century I'm talking about. Sure. There was kind of, I don't know if we want to call it a revival or not, but I think it was more interesting in my looking back than, let's say, portions of the 19th century. But then along comes World War II, and Gardini was in Germany for the entire war. Yes. Not that he was Hitler supporter at all, he was not. No, no, But he no. never, to my knowledge, got arrested and put in jail like some did. He was a professor. He was removed from that position, uh, but he survived the war in decent health, shall we yeah, say, okay? Yeah. And then came putting Humpty Dumpty back together again in 1945. <laughs> he was right yeah, there yeah. for that, and he's looking yeah. around saying, what, you know, what are we yeah. doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a way of putting yeah. it. And isn't it interesting, John, as we've talked about some of these English figures in Chesterton and Lewis and Tolkien, especially in the light of just not World War II, but also World War I, this need to end the putting Humpty Dumpty back together again to see beauty as so important. As I often like to share, on one occasion in driving from um, Los Angeles back to Chico, so driving 
10 hours uh, north <laughs> to Chico. <laughs> my youngest daughter saw a rainbow, you know, and she was one and a half at the time, and she's hitting the window constantly. Uh. Mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, look, look, look. And we don't know what she saw or we don't know what she was looking at. And then we realized she saw a rainbow. Uh-huh. And <laughs> what's my point? Beauty even captures the imagination of a one and a half year old, right? Yeah. I don't know if truth or goodness can do that, John, yeah. but beauty can. Yeah. See, beauty can. And that was uh, Romano Gardini's great intuition. Well, there is also ugliness. Mm. Going back to World War II, in the middle of the war, in Paris, wearing an ugly looking orange overcoat, was one celebrity named Jean Paul Sartre who wrote a book called Being and Nothingness. Yes. Get a load of that title. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah you're alive, you're a being, yeah. but there's nothing there. Yeah. Now, this took on. In the late 40s, he was quite a to-do. And R- Romano Gardini is aware of this. And after this comes out books which are, you may want to call them his masterpieces, The End of the Modern World, mm-hmm. and then another one immediately written right after that called Power and responsibility, the two of them are put together into one book called The End of the Modern World. And that is the book that Benedict Rochelle mentioned when I first got all caught sure. up in Romano Gardini. Yeah. 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 And as we talk about beauty and as we talk about ugliness, John, and Gardini's response to it, he certainly offered up a number of works as it relates to truth. And in speaking of that, we should offer up at least a soundbite into some of Gardini's thoughts because I do think they are very important. You know, in his evangelical efforts, Gardini saw that Jesus Christ is not a wise man who points us to the truth, but he is the truth, right? It's just not that he points us to what mercy looks like. No, no, no. He is the incarnation of mercy. He is mercy. Um, So Christianity is not based primarily on a set of dogmas, but on the person of Jesus Christ on the person of Jesus Christ. So everything is a reflection of truth, and only in Jesus Christ can we grasp the fullness of this truth. So then for Gardini, the truth about man is essentially, and this is where we get into the context of being, conformity to being for Gardini, or better still, obedience to being, which in principle is the obedience of our being before the being of God. What is that? Well, this is where Benedict XVI helps us, that ultimately we can never understand the fullness of our potential in light of what we can achieve or in light of how we progress technologically. No, it is so, so much more than that. It is in the light of Jesus Christ that we come to fully understand what it means to be human. Why? Why would Benedict go there? Why would Gardini talk about that? Well, because every man suffers. And without Christ, suffering doesn't make any sense. As it is, suffering is in the abstract, but only in the light of the revelation of Jesus Christ can we even begin to grapple with suffering, and that it actually has redemptive value. In point of fact, Gardini, John, in the Spirit of Liturgy, talks about how we share in the redemptive love of Christ, in the redemptive love of Christ, that we participate in the redemptive love of Christ, of course, echoing Colossians 1.24, this great call we have. So, To be human, John, for Gardini, is to understand that we can only understand what it means to be human in the light of Christ. One last principle he talks about is this concrete living, concrete living, a phrase that he would use to speak to how man is open to the truth, but the truth is not in some place, but rather in the concrete living, and that concrete living must in turn be a reflection of the person of Jesus Christ. You remove revelation from this, 
You remove sacred scripture from this, you don't have anything. That's exactly <laughs> his point. What was the problem with the modern world? Divine revelation was not something mankind was living by in general. And therefore, mankind was getting lost as to who he actually was. He was quite fond of the Middle Ages because we had God in his heavens, the Pope on earth, the King on earth, power flowed right down. Okay, orderly and those of us in the Hoi Palai, the peasants, whatever, yeah. we, we, we know a place. It was a good yeah, place. Yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. that everything was hunky-dory. It wasn't, yeah. but it was, it was okay. Now, we get into 1950, 51, 52, when he wrote Into the Modern World, and that's not the case anymore. Mm. And mankind is lost, and he is kind of living. Well, we hear this term a lot now. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Okay, in mm. other words, I am my own God. I, mm-hmm. I you know, I, I have my own Ten Commandments or one or two, if ever, you know. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of what he feels is not very good. It is not being and nothingness. And that is where we are going away now. And we have the term postmodern. Now, the best I can do is modern world kind of depended upon reason. He wanted to employ that to come to some conclusion. Postmodern means... Reason doesn't get you anywhere. Go by your feelings. You know, our mm-hmm. emotions are what we are now. We're seeing this a little bit in the sexual revolution, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Been, you know, your emotions are really your your compass. That's mm-hmm. what you go by. And Guardini says, no, no, no. You go by divine revelation. And uh, that, was, that, that was our problem. Yeah, the uh, sentimentality. Benedict XVI said the greatest heresy of the postmodern age is sentimentalism, which is an emotional indulgence, of course, you know, where, where mere opinion reigns based upon our subjective uh, feelings. I want to go back to something you said, though, John, as it relates to being spiritual versus being religious, specifically within the context of Gardini, because certainly uh, that is a problem we have today. Everyone is spiritual, and fewer and fewer people are religious. And yet Gardini would say, Okay, yet still meet them where they're at. Understand that even their falsely guided pursuit of being spiritual is a portion of a much deeper truth, right? Good point. And so Romano Gardini would say, help them to better understand what it means to be spiritual and how the church helps us to be spiritual. Um, This was very important for Gardini because in the end, this was one of his own struggles, right, very early on. And so he saw that uh, the church was the instrument, is the instrument to help us better understand what it means to be spiritual. Because ultimately, to evoke the word spirit or spiritual, you are talking about something that belongs to God. So let's start evangelizing and catechizing. I I have had experiences, John, where people have uh, used that phrase with me, and over time have come to understand that, indeed, to be spiritual fundamentally is also to be religious, because the word religion, oh, by the way, comes from a Latin word that simply means to belong to God, right? Mm-hmm. And to be spiritual is to not to just be your own God, but as we've just discussed, <laughs> yeah. to go deeper in your relationship with God, belonging yeah. to God. I have always felt that all of us have our own Nicene Creed, whether you're Catholic, mm. whether you're atheist, whether you're spiritual but not religious, we all have a creed that we believe in. And it is a good idea to see where does our creeds overlap mm-hmm, and can mm-hmm. we draw something wonderful, um, useful from that? 
or for a discussion point of view, and he was good at that. I mm-hmm. God bless him. I, I, I he had more patience than I do. Yeah, so, he yeah. was he was um, excellent at that. Once again, thinking about my time with my kids, you know, we've already talked about a park and a and a trip up north, right? Well, on another trip, uh, a trip that my wife and I made with our kids to Legoland, we had to make a few pit stops. And uh, a few of those pit stops included the likes of a McDonald's, right? And all fast food restaurants today have play structures, right? It was so difficult to get our kids to leave those play structures (laughs) because they couldn't imagine that there was anything out there that was better, that was greater, right? Well, once my wife and I showed our kids pictures of Legoland, they were sold we were gone and we, we were uh, heading to Legoland, right? Okay. And Legoland is like, you know, a thousand times better than any play structure. <laughs> but the point being here is that there is something greater. And as Christians and as Catholics, John, we have the duty to show that the greatest ultimately is uh, Jesus Christ and the church he came to establish. Yeah. And Gardini um, was not only very good at that, but ultimately he showed many of his students to the likes of the men we've already talked about, John, Colonel Ratzinger, who we know has been in the 16th, huh? Hans Urs von Balthasar, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, uh, Henri de Lubach, and so many others. How to engage the person, how to lead with beauty, how to evangelize, how to show the better way, the greater way. This was at the heart of Gardini, and this ultimately, in the end, John, is what this man was about. He uh, survived Vatican II. And he was offered a cardinal's hat by uh, Pope Paul VI and refused it. I'm not sure why. He was elderly at this time. Mm-hmm. But uh, so did Jacques Mariton. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, interesting man and uh, lived a long time. And, uh, and I mean, he is one of the great pivotal personalities of the 20th century. He really was, John. And I want to close with a scripture passage that was the most important scripture passage to him. It was the one that really helped him out of his confusion and as we do close with a reflection that was tied to it from uh, Gardini. And that scripture passage is that one that comes to us from Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And this is Gardini. It became clear to me that there exists a law according to which persons who find their life, that is, remain in themselves and accept as vowed only what immediately enlightens them, lose their individuality. If they want to reach the truth and attain the truth in their very selves, then they must abandon themselves. Amen. And with that, John, we will close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.